Today, I'm talking to Arthur Sharif with Sotheby's International Realty in Silicon Valley. A local real estate agent since 2004, he is the longest serving and highest performing Sotheby's International Realty agent in Silicon Valley. But that is just the beginning. He consistently ranks not only as one of the top agents among all brokers in the Bay Area, but in the nation. And as if that weren't enough, he holds the record for the highest sale price in Silicon Valley in both Santa Clara County and San Mateo County. And he holds the record, according to MLS, for selling more land than any other broker in Silicon Valley. He was the real estate agent for the first home sale over $100 million in the United States. He shares that story and many others today. All of this, and when you hear our interview, I think, as I did, you will find him most warm, humble, and enthusiastic as he and I talk about, of course, how to be first and how to break records. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody, it's the the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And today we have an incredibly special guest, Arthur Sharif on the show from Silicon Valley. Arthur, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jerry, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So before I ask you any questions, I want to make sure everybody who's listening to this on video or someplace where they don't get to hear the intro knows who we're asking questions of today. So everybody, Arthur is in Silicon Valley. He's with Sotheby's International Realty. You've been with Sotheby's International Realty, I think, longer and sold more real estate than anybody in Sotheby's. And you hold the highest sell record for Santa Clara. And you have to remind me. The San other Mateo. San Mateo. Yes, I remembered. San Mateo, as well as you were the first real estate agent in the country to sell a home for $100 million, like to hit that price point at all. Yeah. And you have sold more land, according to MLS anyway, in Silicon Valley than any other real estate agent. That's who we're talking to today, everybody. So thank you. Thank you for that introduction. So Arthur, give us what, why, how did you become a real estate agent? I became a real estate agent because there was a a passion in me uh, from a very early age. Uh, I used to uh, uh, live in Atlanta. uh, And when I lived in Atlanta on weekends, I would go and tour all these high-end homes off of, in Sandy Springs and East Cobb and some of those neighborhoods and and just, uh, you know, looking at them, just made me happy. And I've always done that. Uh, and uh, as far as the how I l- literally got into it, I, I was uh, actually a, a retailer. I owned a chain of clothing stores throughout Los Angeles. And I, uh, I, I found myself designing my own retail s- storefronts. And there was a passion for me. And, uh, and that led to uh, to uh, uh, a more of an interest in the design of them. And uh, after many, many years, I owned you know, up to 11 stores. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, my brother, who was a real estate uh, developer, asked me to, to join his company because um, you know, he, he felt like that's where I needed to be. And, uh, and so I got into real estate, not as sa- in sales, but in development, we developed a lot of stuff uh, in South Florida, and uh, and the way I got into uh, uh, and I've got my you know um, real estate license there. But the reason that I wound up in real estate sales where I am today um, is because I had cancer when I was in Florida, and uh, and uh, so 
uh, I wanted uh, my wife and, the, and my three kids uh, to be close to my family here in Northern California. And so we packed up and uh, we came here. And, uh, and one of the reasons, uh, another reason why we came here is because Stanford University kind of detected it where, you know, maybe six or eight other doctors weren't able to de detect it. And so I felt like, okay, I need to be here. And then uh, the, the, the process of, you know, uh, going back and, and making sure that everything's fine uh, required me to be here. And uh, my sister, Catherine, uh, who was uh, selling real estate locally, I helped her because, uh, you know, I knew all the things about, you know, how to make something look good and knew how to work with contractors and stuff. And uh, I got into sales. Uh, soon after uh, we formed this partnership, she left uh, to go to LA uh, to join Sotheby's there. Uh, but I stayed and I'm the longest serving real, uh, Sotheby's agent in the uh, San Francisco Peninsula. Um, and, uh, and I've never really worked for any other uh, company. So I don't know, uh, you know what it's like to work for, for anywhere, any other company, but mm. when I visit other brokerages for meetings or, or picking up keys or whatever, I just see that the Sotheby's brand is just, uh, you know, head and shoulders above. And that makes me feel good because I've always, uh, towards uh, you know the best things uh, in life in terms of you know material things where you know you you buy the best and, and you expect the best from it so you've got a whole line of what i'm hearing is well i know a few things about you so but here's to rephrase what you just said you kind of sort of fell in to being a real estate agent because you were in a situation where you had been an entrepreneur Atlanta, LA, Florida, you're in Florida with family. And then suddenly life takes a turn and you're not sure what's going to happen. And it's, I'm not sure like how long I'm going to live. And I've, this is survival mode now. Exactly. And Stanford was the only place that really had the resources to help you. So you pretty much got to live there. Yes. I had to go back, you know, first it was chemo, then radiation, then, you know, monthly meeting, uh, appointments and, and you know so it was it was very intense uh and in, in terms of are, having to be you are, here you are setting out to be the first guy to sell a hundred million dollar property or maybe you were but i don't think you you were setting out to survive not to sell a hundred million dollar property no you never you never do that you know it's i, I you know i wasn't uh, trying to find the most beautiful girl in the world when i met my wife but it just happens you know, so certain things just happen. If you, I you know, it just happened to everybody. It happens. It happens more than, you know, opportunities are there. You just have to, you just have to recognize them. I think, and I recognize opportunities. Everything that I've done, I, I, I haven't. I, I didn't look at what was there. I looked at what was possible. What what could be there. I didn't look at what was there. I looked at what was possible and what could be there. Exactly, exactly. So first of all, so you, you come to Stanford, you come in and when you got into real estate, you started out in development with your brother yeah. and that evolved into supporting your sister as an agent. And give us kind of like what that was like in the beginning and how that evolved, because that's such a drastic difference and such a, it's an intro, but you came a long way. Yeah, but that's something that's that that, that I've you know uh, I, I feel like I'm a serial entrepreneur. I look at opportunities. I've uh, I've done so many different things through my life that uh, starting something new is just second nature. And I always look at it. Uh, I look at it like the way that the, the, the that my oncologist, uh, my response to my oncologist. I asked her. I was like, I said. Uh, am I going to be okay? And she looked at me, she goes, uh, do you think you're going to be okay? And uh, I said, because if you think you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay. I'm like, if that's the case, we're going to be just fine here because I know I'm going to be okay. And I think that that's the way I approach everything in life. It's like, okay, this is not a, a challenge. This is an opportunity. And if it's up to me, we're going to be just fine. And that's the way I approach just everything. It, you know, some agents, they, they run away from luxury uh, properties uh, because it takes time or it takes too much energy or effort or capital or whatever. I, 
I run towards it because that's, to me, it's, a, it's not just a challenge, it's an opportunity. What you just said, I love, because in all of my time and meeting so many real estate agents and being so many masterminds and whatnot, the real winners, the guys who are doing what you're doing, the one, the one thing I say again and again, and you literally, and I promise I wasn't leading the witness, was you said it, is it's in how you see what's happening. That's it. Everybody's got stresses. Everybody's got, and you, the more you successfully are, guess what? The more you've actually got to lose. Exactly. But the more successful you are, the more, it's not like you get successful and then you see opportunity. It's the more you saw the opportunity to create it before it ever happened. And you continue to do that to propel success. Right. And, and, and it goes to everything. Like it's so true in real estate because a home, you know, unless it's brand new, it's very personalized, right? It's personalized to the former or the current owner's uh, tastes and, and, and budget and all of those things. So when you, when you look at it, you have to be able to look at it and say, hey, that's a, that's a blank slate. And, and what, what, what do I see there? What do potential other uh, buyers uh, you know, might see what they may may not see. So you turn those challenges, and I tell this to like young agents and say, there is no home that you and I like or dislike. We don't like or dislike anything. We look at it and say, who is this home perfect for? Some people are like, oh, this bedroom, this house only has two bedrooms. I'm like, yeah, some people, they only want a two-bedroom house, and they have seven acres, and, they, and, the, and the home is 8,000 square feet, because that's all they need. And so it's about need and it's not about, you know, what is norm. Exactly. So question for you. We're going to move on, but not yet. We're, we're, I want to start talking, like, honing in on this challenges, opportunities and change and success in your life. There's two directions that I see this in one direction. There's we're going to get the story of that hundred million dollar sale and your success. But before we go there, let's go back to Arthur and who Arthur was as a kid, who Arthur was as an entrepreneur before, because you've been a real estate agent for how many years? I think that 17 maybe. I mean, you kind of found a really, you got a good thing going here for a while, but it's not because you went and found a job and didn't quit or just stuck with it for 20 years. It's because of these dynamics of who you are and how it became. So take us back to the beginning, Arthur. Yeah, and this is the longest I've ever done anything, and it hasn't been continuous, actually. Um, so I've always been, a, like, as I said, uh, a serial entrepreneur. I got my first uh, taste of entrepreneurship when, when a friend of mine whose brother owned uh, a sweater factory in New York uh, uh, gave us a bunch of seconds, like factory seconds or like things that can't go to Macy's because they have some kind of a blemish or imperfection. Well, we loaded up these trunks of these cars and we drive to you know, from University of Georgia to Georgia Tech to West Georgia to all the colleges around the area. And we would sell these sweaters to these sorority uh, houses and we'd have like a trunk show right there in the, in the, in the main room. And, and uh, you know, and we were doing great because, you know, we were making money, but more importantly, it was fun. It was fun because it was fun because the, the people that were getting the most fun out of it were the customers. They were just like, you know, giddy about getting such a, such a product at such a price. So that, oh, that kind of opened up for me uh, uh, an avenue where, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And so uh, when, it, when, it, when it came time to, to doing other things, I was the same way. I used to buy cars in, in, uh, in Frankfurt, Germany, and, and, and drive them to Bremen, Germany. And from Bremen, Germany, I put them on the ship to Jacksonville, Florida, from Jacksonville, Florida, bring them up to Atlanta and, and, you know, fix it and sell it. These were like convertible Mercedes and Porsches and things like that. And what it did was, it was, you know, extremely fun, but economically it paid for my, my European vacation, if you will. So uh, I've done that. And, 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 you know, uh, that brought on an interest in, you know, passion for the, for cars. Uh, in my first month in the car business, I, I, I used to sell office equipment, personal computers when they were just uh, an infant uh, industry. Uh, and, uh, but I was you know, running from t uh, one place to another and racking up uh, uh, traffic tickets. And a buddy of mine said, hey, why don't you 
uh, sell, sell cars, you can make the same money. I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. I, yeah, I've got an education. I need to use that. And like, okay, whatever. And so, but anyway, he, <laughs> he talked me into it. Uh, I, wor- I worked at, uh, didn't even want to hire me, the, the, the manager at the, at the Boomerchan uh, Pontiac on Cop Parkway. Uh, he said, I'm only hiring you for one reason, because your buddy asked me to hire you. We don't do training here. You see this pen? That's your training. Make sure you use that. And I said, okay, fine. I'm just happy for the for the opportunity. Uh, that first month, I was the salesman of the month at that dealership. Uh, soon after, I, uh, I was promoted to to a manager. Then they asked me to become a general manager. But by this time, uh, you know, I was married. Uh, my wife and I wanted to, you know, move out west to California. We vaca- we vacationed there. We had a honeymoon there. Had family here. So we we decided to move move out west and. Uh, soon as we moved out west, I was like, you know, I, I need to open my own business. I was almost ready to open my own business in uh, um, in Marietta, and but we decided to move. That's the land, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, then and so we decided to move. And uh, so I, I said, all I'm going to do is work somewhere for about a year or two, figure it out, and then find find a place where I can open my own business. So I went to, like, um, uh, not trying to... Um, bore you with a lot of detail, but I, 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 wound, up, yeah. I wound up with, uh, with uh, uh, W.I. Simonson, Mercedes-Benz in, in, in uh, uh, Santa Monica, California. Uh, I told uh, at my, uh, as I walked into dealership, I said, I'm here to be your top salesperson. And he looked at me, he goes, uh-huh. uh, he goes that's weird. He goes, I just lost my top salesperson. I wouldn't give you the time of day. And I said, well, you know, you know maybe it's meant to be. All I'm asking you is just give me a chance and you'll be happy you did. He says, uh, okay, fine. So um, I started uh, working there and uh, the first year I was not the top salesperson. I was the second top salesperson. Oh, well. Uh, the know. second and third year uh, years, I uh, was one of the top uh, Mercedes-Benz salespeople worldwide in the United States, Canada, all over the world. Uh, you know, we were, we were sent to, to Stuttgart to, to, you know, uh, shake hands with the, wow. the CEOs and all that. But that wasn't my passion, right? My passion was, and I'm very goal-oriented and not getting lost in all of this. My goal was to open up my own business. But with the, with the dollars that I had, the only business that I could open up was a business that required low capital, little, little capital, or I would have opened up a, you know, a car dealership or whatever else. Uh, so I, uh, I, I saw, an, uh, this was, a, this is a real estate play. I saw this, this food court in a mall in Santa Monica where, you know, tourists by, by the thousands and there was one store that was closed. And I, and I said, would that be a perfect place for a restaurant? Never worked in a restaurant. Don't know restaurant business. I don't know anything about restaurants, but I'm like, that would be a perfect place for a restaurant. But I look around, and this is one of the best food courts probably in the country, and they have every kind of food imaginable to man. So you couldn't just go to them and say, hey, listen, I want to uh, open up a pizza. You know, there's like three pizza places. And so, uh, and I thought like quick on my feet, I'm like, that would be a wonderful place for an Indian restaurant. Uh, the mall said, an Indian restaurant just went out of business in that in that spot. I'm like, I, and thinking on my feet, what I'm is like, with you? I, I said, I know why that Indian restaurant went out of business. And they're like, why? I said, because Indians were running it. They were making the food too much for an Indian palate. I said, I think that we take that food, bring down the heat a little bit, make it more uh, friendly to a, a uh, to an American palate, and and you'll see success there. And then they, you know, your qualifications and all of this. But anyway, I just just kind of pushed my way through and uh, they said, okay, fine. It did so well that, you know, we were being uh, uh, accosted by malls uh, all through Southern California. But I knew, I knew that that wasn't my passion, A, and it wasn't the vehicle that's going to take me where I wanted to go. So I, uh, during that time that I was in the mall, I'm walking around, I'm like, you know what? I used to sell the sweaters out of the back of a car. I got some retail experience. I could open up a nice men's clothing store because there's no store in this mall that I was shopping. And so I went back to the same leasing office. I'm like, I've got a great idea. I'm like, not again. I'm like, yep, again. Uh, I said, what we need to do is we need a nice men's clothing store in this mall. And they're like, what do you know about that? I'm like, I wear them every day. 
so uh, anyway, they, uh, they said no. So I went across the street and found another location. And then I came back to the, to, to the, to the leasing manager. And I said, listen, I'm going across the street to open a store because you're not going to give me one. Uh, but I want you to review this lease for me and tell me that, you know, if it's a good lease. She looked at me. She goes, you just won't give up. I'm like, I can't. She said, okay, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a store. So she gave me a store that turned into, like I said, 11 stores. Uh, I divested from the restaurant business, got into the, uh, that. And then, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that developed into designing storefronts, which went into the uh, uh, development business, which wound up in the uh, real estate sales. I'm writing those down so I remember, because at about 11 stores, you've had the lifetime of, of not oh, even yeah. that many people. I, I, you were I, just getting started. I hired, I hired the thousands. And uh, I, I uh, had uh, my own labels. I'd go to Brazil to, to, to source footwear. I, my footwear was, was so good that I had buyers from, from uh, Nordstrom uh, coming into my stores, buying, uh, buying stuff to take back to, 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 and this is the honest truth, uh, uh, to copy some of the things that I would bring in. Okay. So. First of all, you started all of this with one statement. You said, and this was a while back before I even asked you about your history. You said, I see where we're, we're, there are challenges. Yeah. I see opportunity. I don't see what isn't. I see what could be and what can be. Exactly. So then you have this joy of selling sweaters out of back cars when you're younger. And now you go in and you, I've, because there's so many, I actually lost track, but you go into, was it car sales first? Uh, importing the cars from Germany. So importing the cars from Germany because you need, a, you need your European vacation. Exactly. I, love it. I yeah. mean, like, <laughs> like, and the, the links, and here's the other thing, everybody, the links that you go to, to do it, but the outcomes are still always greater. Back to, no wonder you sold the first time you remain on our property in the country. Number two, car sales. So then you go to it, you were top in a dealership, then you go to another dealership and you just not arrogantly, but candidly, you're looking to be their top salesperson and you're seeing an opportunity and you're making sure you create one. And then you do that and you're like, well, this isn't really for me. And then you see a restaurant and you realize they're missing a restaurant and an Indian restaurant would be great. And the one that failed, most people would say, well, something's wrong. That's a problem, next. Yeah. And so you, you can't have inhibitions about, you know, some people would argue that, you know, you're one of the top Mercedes-Benz salespeople and now you're, you know, dishing out curry and people coming up to you and you're looking like in their eyes, like, what are they going to ask me? And then the first question out of their mouth is, do you speak English? And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> so, what a life experience. Yeah, so it, it humbles you, but you know they don't know your story, and so you yeah. give them the you give them the pass, and uh, but but you've got to be comfortable with who you are, and not uh, you know allow anybody else to to kind of dictate who or you define are. who yeah. you are. Yeah. What a great, and perhaps that is one of the reasons why those people who go through some of the biggest struggles or experiences in life are those people it's 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 opportunity has a lot to do with opportunity can be there but you've got to show up for it you have to show up for it i mean and, I, I i had people that would come to this mall that were my clients at, at the mercedes-benz dealership and they're like look at you and they like have this like they're confused. Oh, sorry for your look. I'm like, don't, don't worry about me. I'm fine. No, this is good. This is my, this is like, I wanted to do this. Exactly. You know, but it's just, but you can't. And those are the things that, that, that you know, every experience in life teaches you for the next and, and prepares you for the next experience in life. Well, and, well so to the, yeah. Well, I don't want to interrupt you because I have a question about that. Yeah. So, so everything that I've learned, I've used in a later part of my life. So question for you. Point, you know, from, from the sweaters to, to working in malls, to, to, to selling copy machines, to selling uh, right. uh, everything. Well, it's just that, It's like the Steve Jobs quote, you look backwards and all the dots suddenly, like it's so obvious. So like example, 
you I love how you brought us there when you're talking about you're working at the mall at the Indian restaurant that you had started and this was an entrepreneurial act, but it wasn't perceived that way by others. So you have these experiences where people are like, do you speak English? And there's just this kind of like almost you could experience it demeaning, but for you, it was enlightening. Now take that and now fast forward to your career today and doing things like holding sales records and selling the first hundred million dollar property in the country. You saw things other people didn't see, good or bad, and you didn't let what they saw impact who you really were and what opportunity really was or define it. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I love about Silicon Valley is that it's a meritocracy here and everybody uh, is from somewhere and all they want to know, they you know, where I used to live in L.A. and L.A. it's, you know, uh, it's what you drive or what you wear or what kind of jewelry you wear. And here it's like uh, the first thing people are like, uh, where'd you go to school? You know, and, and so yeah. it's a totally different. That, that vibe is so so cool that that I thrive in that environment because it's about what are you doing? What can you do? And so when I'm selling, I'm not selling, I'm not selling anything because the, the best uh, uh, things that I always have heard throughout my life from people is like, you're not like a salesperson, uh, which is the biggest compliment you can give to somebody, unfortunately, because I think that, uh, I don't know if it's Hollywood or whoever, but that, that, that our profession, has been, has a little bit of a tarnish on it, but I think that, you know, every profession probably has a little bit of it. I mean, you know, lawyers get their share of it as well, right? Uh, so you just move on and and uh, and, uh, and you don't think about, uh, um, you only think about the people. You don't think about price. And that's the thing about luxury. If you're intimidated by price, then you know, it, it, the, the, the trouble is not with the industry. It's just with you. You got to, get out of that shell oh the problem right. is that with industry if you have a problem with price the problem is not with the industry it might be with you and not that's not an accusational judgment that's no, just, it's just something check. to work on it's just something you need to work on and so when 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 you know this 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 current week i was fortunate enough to to be called to a, an interview for a 20 million dollar listing and uh and my first question to be, oh, one of my first questions is, hey, why, why me? Why, why did you call me instead of somebody else? And he looked at me, he goes, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, yeah. He said, well, he's a friend of mine. We grew up together. We went to school together. I'm like, he's one of the absolute top real estate agents in the area. He goes, yeah, I know. So I called him and said, hey, who do you think I should give this to? He said, call Arthur Sharif. I think he'll do a great job for you. And um, so... You know, I think you win the admiration of your colleagues and for, for another colleague to, to do that for you instead of saying, hey, you know, let me uh, let me introduce you to this guy and then try to get a, a, a referral fee or anything like that. It just shows you the level of confidence that somebody had in you. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I was blown away that that happened. Well, it also is a reminder in our industry of like our the other agents are sure we compete. I say we still, but. Anyway, yeah. we compete, but really and truly, brokers are allies. We're doing deals with one another. I tell people during the interview, they say, well, we've interviewed someone. I said, listen, when we come to your home, we are all competing agents. And we tell you about what we can do. I said, but as soon as you sign the, the, uh, the listing agreement, we all become cooperating agents. We all try to, to sell your home. There is no... There is no, uh, you know, me versus them. It's we. It's only me until you sign the document. And after I talk to you, my next call is to my colleagues. Those are the folks that are very important to me. And they are the ones that I really count on to help me help you. I've never heard it put that way. Yes. I love, because once you sign, I mean, that, that almost yeah. sounds like. From competing to cooperating. But understanding, like, when you hire me, now you choose the person you want representing you, but when you hire me, now you bring in the whole community of agents. And the reality is when you hire the person who has the best relationships in the community, you bring That's in all the, the point. agents. That's the point, is that if you can convince the seller that, that you have a stellar reputation uh, among the brokerage community, that should be a huge, huge uh, uh, um, uh, um, you know, feather in your cap, if you will. And and you, 
I've just, like it's like I'm like duh, but the way you phrase it is so is so reinforces the point of why our industry has been so long standing. It's so long standing is because when you hire the right agent, you hire the agent who who works well with the other agents. Otherwise, you're eliminating yourself from everybody. Exactly. And as an agent, it's kind of important to remember that in your own <laughs> career. It's really important for me to remember that because my story is that. I was the only Sotheby's agent in the peninsula at one time, the only one. And so when people would go into the listing presentation, their immediate thing was, oh, you don't want him. He's not, his office is in the city. Uh, and so I, didn't, I needed to be more cooperative uh, uh, than, than most of my colleagues because I was kind of like the Lone Ranger here. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I, I like to think that that my presence here uh, uh, invited uh, the the other Sotheby's uh, affiliate brokerages to op open brokerages in our community. Wow! So I mean, so that so do you think was that your experience that really drove it home for you and reinforced that? Because it could do one or the other. It could make some people better, like Lone Ranger doing my thing, or was is there like a moment or a story where it all yeah, came together? Well, the thing is, is that we have to remember that every agent, and that's what really uh, kind of gets me when people knock the industry. The industry is not really an industry. It's one of the most loosely knit industries that I know of. Every agent is a small business. So if you like small business, you should love the real estate business because there's thousands of us. We're all small businesses. We don't you know, pollute. <laughs> we're, 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 you know, we're, well, we drive our cars around, but you know, I mean, good Tesla. Yeah, uh, exactly. But so, so we are, you know, and so that's where, where this whole thing starts. Is you're a, you're a small business. As a small business, if you want to raise, you get in front of the mirror and say, I need a raise, and you go out and get one. It, you can't rely on your brokerage. You can't rely on anybody. You got to rely on yourself. And when you think about it that way, then yes, it's easy to become a lone wolf type of a, uh, a person. Uh, but really and truly, there's no one that you, that you must rely on. You have to be self-reliant in every sense of the word. Because if you need to run to, to get advice on everything, then you're just maybe, you know, need to work on some of the things that that you shouldn't need to because being an independent business person means you got to be the problem solver no matter what the problem is and that's what uh, you know being an entrepreneur that was like the easy thing I was like yeah i've, I've done that for years like, you know, pro what problem pro opportunities mr exactly. opportunity i mean yeah. really okay so it was 2012 that the first hundred million dollar property sold yes. in our country and it was you you were the broker my my, my sister and i your sister you and your sister yeah. so yeah. how did that happen so the what's the, the story the story is this the the the, the owner a husband and wife they have this 85 million dollar property and they have another 85 million dollar property in hawaii so they called us and they called some other people in and they said, we have this property and whichever one sells first, we're going to keep the other one. I'm like, oh no, that's terrible because you could do all this work and the other house sells first. And then they said, rule number two, no one can know about this. I don't want it in newspapers, magazines, radio. Every TV. real estate agent's dream. <laughs> right, Somebody, so like, we might just not sell it. Yeah. And like, don't let anybody know about it. Yeah. So, so you, because sometimes you Anyway, we'll go into that later. So anyway, they uh, uh, said, yeah, you can't put it out there. So I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, so we knew that it was a ticking clock on two, on two points. And number one is that, that uh, you know, the other house sells first. Number two is by having our hands tied, um, you know, it, he may get frustrated and say, hey, nothing's going on. Uh, we need to move on or something. So uh, but we we reached out to the brokerage community, reached out to the brokerage, all the, the people, and they reached out to us. And so there's one agent who I've done quite a bit of business with, and uh, he, he said, I, I've got a client that's like, you know, money is no object. I'm like, yeah, great. He goes, oh, yeah, this guy will spend $30 million, $25 million, 
I'm like, well, if he's got 30 million, he's got, he doesn't have enough to buy this. Uh, he goes, really? I'm like, yeah. I said, this is, this is an $85 million property. And there are two lots on either side of it that are seven and a half million dollars each for a total of $100 million. Uh, and so anyway, they, the, the people come, uh, I give him this big grand tour, you know, really uh, dramatic and, uh, you know, um, and then they love it. They absolutely love it. And uh, uh, they did a hundred different inspections and all of this. And uh, after all it's all said and done with, they said, we'll give you 95 million. Uh, and the owner's like, okay, we'll take that. I'm like, no, if you take that, you have two things can happen. Number one, he'll think that he paid too much. Or number two, he may just walk away thinking, you know, I just don't, this is just like not, it's just too easy. Maybe it's just not even, it's not supposed to happen. So we came back with the hundred million dollars and they said, you know, you know, can you substantiate it? Yes, you know, we can do this. You know, this is the architect, this is this. And uh, anyway, at the end of the day, uh, they said, okay, fine, hundred million dollars. Next thing you know, we're all celebrating and having a great time and, you know, uh, patting each other on the back. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. And, and th- th- so a few things. Somebody comes to you, because here's the thing, everybody has their situation. I'm talking a lot about problems today because I love to reinforce the way that everything comes your way. You don't, it's almost like you just don't, in a very good way, you don't see you don't see no, or you, you see the no, but you don't see it as a, you don't see no as the end. You see no as the door to opportunity. Exactly. Cause I'm open to it. I mean, you know, some and people around here, they're like, you're lo- you're so lucky. Uh, let me just rub against you. I'm like, don't do that. They're like, why? I'm like, because <laughs> if I'm lucky, you're lucky. You'll come to me and I have too much luck. <laughs> oh my God. Like, like even that I was like because most people are like why because my bad luck will rub on you no like you see the luck you don't see the problem you see I love that yeah, oh so- I love that well, and like, so I don't know if you know who Jordan Peterson is but, is but he says what you what you see determines on your aim and your focus you're focusing on you've got problems and opportunities everywhere you you decide to look and focus on opportunities and that's what you see and when you see it that's what you work with that's what becomes more and more of your reality and it perpetuates it's not like you haven't had challenges no i've had more challenges than than most folks um but it's just an outlook right your positive outlook you know it sounds cliche-ish that the glass is half full but you know i always look at the positive because I've seen too many, um, you know, you know there's, Aristotle said, uh, we are what we reportedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Uh, you know, you just be that person and, you know, and, and it'll happen for you. It's just, you just have to be open to it. And, and you know, the old saying, you know, half or whatever is just showing up. You got to show up. And, uh, I show up and really what you say, because you show up, but here's, you've got the be positive people. They're just making stuff up in their head because there is reality. And then there's people like in you, you, here's what Jerry Metcalf is reading and interpreting. You've seen an awful lot of reality. It hasn't all been bright and shiny and beautiful, but you've also seen within that reality, the beauty, you don't just see what, what isn't there. You see what could be and can be. And you hone in on that part of it. And did you learn that somewhere? Or because you literally like in everything, in everything, you hone in on what could be and how to make it happen. And you go to links, you go at links. I think most people would not because you're like, oh, okay, well, if that's what I've got to do to do it, okay, then I'll do that. And you just do that. What, where did that come from? Or how did you come about? I think it's that. probably it's probably from being competitive and 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 not wanting to not wanting to to lose. Uh, so I'm a very very competitive person. I participate you know in sports and in sports you know you know losing is not an option. That's the that's the that's the mentality I always uh, go by. But more importantly, I think it's it's the it's my personality where I want to please. So if I sell your hundred million dollar home, that makes you happy. If it makes you happy, it makes me happy. And so 
and and that may uh, uh, may be like my biggest trait in that I love to have fun and and you know and I always get uh, get uh, uh, teased about this. Yeah, there's only one person. You know, the the person that laughs the loudest at my jokes is me. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, if the joke is not infectious, the laugh will be infectious. <laughs> so, so I get them to have this that way. So you know, I love that. That's so. I'm like a kid, you know, like like a you kid. Just said, it's everything you just said. That's so true. I love that. So, <laughs> so in your career and or life, what is the biggest lesson and or challenge that you've overcome? The challenge is nothing is so serious. I tell you this to everybody, like, we're not brain surgeons. If we fail, no one's going to die. So that's the starting point. No one's going to die. So things are not that bad. And so the, the, so the, the challenge is that, that you, know, you learn from is like my, my illness uh, uh, in 2008 when I lost you know, uh, a big chunk of my, my net worth in the real estate meltdown. Uh, those things, right? Uh, you know, for some people, it may have been devastating, uh, but for me, it was like that. You know, look in the mirror, like, hey, at least it's not cancer. Uh, so you know, you just have to look and say, you know, things could always be worse. I mean, I, you know, I had financial problems, uh, you know, and 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 uh, you know, all of these other things, and uh, and uh, you know, went to the doctor, and the doctor said. Uh, and, and at that time, you know, with the financials, I'm like, this can't get much worse than this. And next thing you know, it's, oh, you have cancer. I'm like, well, I guess it could get worse than this. <laughs> Even for Mr. Positive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, so those things teach you to, to understand what the important things are. And then once you have that, then you don't take anything too seriously. And most importantly, you don't take yourself too seriously. You know, you're not going to be self-depreciating, you know, other than maybe in a joke or something. But uh, but you just realize that, hey, you know, everything's going to be okay. All you have to do is just be patient and keep working the process. And the process has proven itself in the past. It'll prove itself again. Which goes back to excellence and habits. Yeah. And what you just said was understand what the important things are. Exactly. So there are a couple of quotes that you've given before. Now I'm just remembering one of them. So I'm going to say it. We also are going to do the final three. But before we do the final three, I just want to, because we've talked offline about things. And we talked about when you're working with people, and you've said this in training and working with other people, you're mentoring and other agents. And it's, it's not about treating other people the way you want to be treated. It's about treating other people the way you would want them to treat your mother. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my favorite ones. Uh, and I've always uh, uh, tried to instill that uh, in my sales training because I've trained a lot of young people. Some of them even encouraged me to write a book. Uh, and, and, you know, like the old saying, the customer is always right. Okay, that's a good thing to live by, right? Another good thing is, you know, treat everybody the way you want to be treated. That's good. But let's take that one step further and, 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 and say, let's treat everybody the way we want our moms treated. Well, what, what is the distinction there? The distinction is that there's an extra level of care that, that you and I, you know, I, I don't expect somebody to, to, you know, hand me their seat. Uh, but if somebody uh, hands their seat to my mom, it wouldn't shock me, eh? It make me happy, and uh, and that person to me is a good person. So, treat people in, in in terms of sales. What that means is slow the process down for that person. Respect that person's uh, uh, ability to comprehend at a different level because you do this every day. They do this once every 20, 30 years, and make sure that they understand. And the way that you make the way I make my mom understand. Because my mom sometimes I'm like explain to her, and she goes like, "You understand?" She goes, "Yes, yes, I understand." I'm like, "Okay, if you understand, I want you to explain to me what I just said." Because if she can explain it to me, then I know she can understand. That's the old expression. Like, the only way somebody 
know something is you know if 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 your mom can uh, can explain it to you uh, after you've explained it to her, then you under, then they really understand. And so those are the little things that I always try to to live by. I love it. Okay, we're gonna do the final three questions now. Yeah. Okay, what would you say is the most important or powerful resource in the success of your career? I think that um, it, it's, it's a people business. You have to be a people person. You can't hide behind technology. Technology can be the biggest enemy of a real estate agent. I always make sure, I tell you, listen, the number one thing is to call. If they don't want you to call, yeah, you text and email or whatever, but your first go to your default I know that a lot of millennials uh, prefer the text and all of that, but communication is key because there's so much that gets lost. That human interaction is the most important thing. It, people like that. It's you know, it's a basic human instinct that's you know, prehistoric. I think. Communication. Yeah, verbal communication, face-to-face -face communication. If you can do it in person, do it in person. If you can't do it on person, do it on the phone. And then, and then everything else follows there. So well, to, yeah, because all this thing about texting, okay, fine, if that's what they want. But yeah. to your point, when you when there's the opportunity to be in person, it's what is it, ninety five percent or ninety percent of communication is body language, tone, facial expressions, sound, which is tone. But that's it. So much yeah. more gets across. And I, and I used to tell, and I used to tell people all the time, when you're talking to people. Don't wear sunglasses. Don't put your hands in your pocket. Don't put your hands behind your back. How you stand is important. If your shoulders, your, your chest out, all of these little, little things that you may not even think about are the most important. They're a lot more important than your haircut. Self-awareness. Yeah. So key. Is there, this is the next question. Is there a book that you would say you've got to read and is even so much as life or career changing? Um, I don't think that books are capable of that in general, because I think that it goes back to what I said earlier. You've got to repeatedly do something. If you read a book once and put it on the shelf, it's not going to get you where you need to go. So the only books that I think that, that may do that for you is, are workbooks that you, that you ref, reference back all the, all the time. I think that, 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 that to, to develop good habits, you repeat it, you repeat. Uh, like I read a lot. I mean, I'm a voracious reader. I subscribe to every major publication, I think in the, in the country uh, that you know, doesn't overlap each other. Uh, and, and what I look for in that, obviously I look in the business section so that when I'm talking to somebody I know what's going on. I'm not, I'm no expert on it, but I'm, I know what's going on. I read a lot of motivation, uh, 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 motivational type things. Uh, that's for me, that's food for, 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 for me. Um, and so, so that, you know, but I, I do I'm right on, on my desk right now, I, you know, have, you know, a dozen books that you know, I'll look through and, but, you know, being, uh, 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 uh a non-clinical diagnosed ADHD or whatever the initial person, I need to be able to, uh, to, to just kind of be all over the place and just soak stuff up. I, Google is my best friend. Like if there is no thought that passes through my mind that Google doesn't see because I want to know. I want to know how, if no matter how silly it might be, I'm like, I want to know what that, I want to know what that's all about. My gosh. Like I'm where with you and it's ADHD, ADHD or whatever. If it is ADHD, that's the symptom because you want to yeah. know and you want to know right now. Exactly. And so in my home, I'm the doctor and whenever something happens, it's like, oh okay, gosh. you know what to do. I'm like, yeah. That's me. <laughs> that's actually me. Like for every, for every <laughs> antibiotic, I have the holistic version. I feel like yeah. do. It's like, don't, I won't even go there. All right. Last question. And we have like, I have so many Arthur Sharif quotes and some of them weren't said on the show today, but I will still be sharing them because you have some of the best. Oh, so that being said, that kind of leaves me last question. If we're going to forget all of us listening today 
everything from this conversation and just remember one thing, what would you hope that one thing is that we take away today? Uh, what is the one thing that you take away to, from today? That other than the fact that if you have a Silicon Valley referral, you call me other than that. <laughs> well, I love that, that there's why he's the number one salesman at whatever he's doing, even though you've been an agent for 17 years. So, so other than that, and this sounds corny, so uh, I, you know, full disclosure, I think that you gotta say is, look, th here's this guy. He's a middle-aged man. He doesn't belong to the local rot Rotary Club, which I have in the past and other places. Uh, he doesn't belong to the PTA. He doesn't belong to on the school board. He doesn't have any political, uh, you know, uh, uh, capital. He doesn't have uh, the church to fall back on. He doesn't have a bunch of kids that he grew up with and their parents and all of that. He doesn't have any of that. He's not the best looking guy. And, you know, yeah, he's, he's 6'2 and he's overweight at 230. Uh, if he can do this, why can't I? And that's the thing that I'm just like, I tell people, I'm like, if I can do this, anybody can do this. And, I, and that's really, and you might say, oh, well, you know, you did this, you did that or whatever, everybody can't. But if you believe it, if you really believe it and say, you know, he's got his advantages, but I'm sure I've got mine too. Find those advantages, work those advantages, and you'll be, if your aspiration is to be me, you don't have any uh, 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 high hopes because you can do better. Love it. Arthur, thank you so much. It's My so pleasure. good to see you. It's so awesome to have you on the show. Thank you very much. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. If you like this episode, please share it with friends. To find more episodes, search Jerry Metcalf podcast on any platform for podcasts or go to jerrymetcalfpodcast.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-E-T-C-A-L-F podcast.com.